Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. The Ravens fall in disheartening fashion this week on Pod Like a Raven. We're going to have to try to get through this. It feels like I am in a fog still. Like the game hasn't actually happened yet. That there's still the fourth quarter yet to play. That I had a bad dream. And this nothing is real. And everything is fine. And the game is actually next week. But that's not the case. I am Antonio Barbera. I'm going to bring in my co-hosts on uh, in a second here. To, to discuss a game that we, none of us really want to talk about. To have an episode that none of us really want to have. But this is a show that we do, and we do it weekly. Uh, so we are going to try to, to walk through some of this distress, try to just move on from some of the distress. And some of it we will not really get over this week. It, it, we're recording on Monday. It's been less than 24 hours. It's going to take weeks, uh, you know, post-Super Bowl to, to maybe have better conversations about this game. But we're going to try to have that first run-through now. Um, because as I bring uh, Jay Sevens on first here, he and I had a little bit of debate uh, in the aftermath of the game on Sunday that th- this loss for me is worse than the 2011 uh, patriots Cundiff miss um he disagreed i i think you have to chalk this down as the worst loss in franchise history because solely because of you were the better team here you're the favorite you're at home you've gotten over that playoff hump you're playing a chiefs team that's had their worst season in, in half a decade in theory and yet it's just same old same old and you and you, you make all those similar mistakes but Jace, we'll get into it uh, in a little bit more detail uh, as the as the episode goes along here. But are you uh, alive here as as we get as we get started? I am alive. Um, I I feel like I'm similar, sort of in the fog along with you. Perhaps perhaps not quite as deep in the fog, but um, it sucks. It was a, a very annoying loss, and uh, I think for me the difference between like this and 2011 is that one was such a kick in the teeth. And the Ravens were the better team. And I think that's what... So maybe it's an equal pain. But I think what makes this one more annoying is they entered as the better team and didn't play like it. They were outplayed in pretty much close to every facet um, the way this game unfolded. And yet still could have won were it not for their own mistakes. I think that's 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 the part I think that's going to eat at me. And so like I think I wrote on Twitter, I was like... I've been sadder for Ravens playoff losses before. Certainly that Cundiff one. I've been madder after, you know, what pick whatever of the three Steelers playoff losses you want. Uh, I was probably madder after those games. But yeah, it, it's kind of just like a void because it, it does feel like this was the spot. This was the team. And I think it leaves me more, more than the loss itself, just the existential question 
uh, in the seasons looming ahead is it's like if you're if you don't win now here when are you going to and i don't know that you are so that sucks and that's i think what makes this uh most annoying is kind of the repercussions and almost can maybe not repercussions but just the idea like it looms over the years to come sort of um yeah, put you uh, put me in an existential place, but like I said, I've been I've been sadder, I've been madder, but uh, there's no denying this one is one of maybe their most annoying playoff loss. I'll say because they really really shot themselves in the foot in this one. Yeah, Jace, that that the aura of if not now, if not with this team in this scenario, when is it going to happen? I I think it was essentially lingering in the locker room with all the players post game interviews with the media they knew it they understand it and that's why it that's why we're in a bad state uh in the in in the baltimore maryland area here uh we actually watched this game all together uh at tim horsey's house in the basement appreciated tim hosting you know it's it's one thing to host when the vibes are good it's another thing to host when it's a disaster and tim really met he stepped up to, to all those challenges pre-game during the game and post-game uh, Tim, are you uh, are you still living and breathing as we, as we talk here? I mean, if if doing a good job hosting was screaming death threats at Travis Kelsey during the game, I don't know. If, I don't. I guess I did a good job. Um, no, I, I I'm I'm totally broken um, with this team. I've been in a fog all day. Um, you know, I know Jace has mentioned on this podcast he kind of likes to wait on his recap shows before you know. Until we do this show, so he can kind of form his own opinions, and then and then he listens to all the recap shows. I'm typically the opposite way. Um, when I'm when I'm done with my radio show in the mornings, I like to listen to my my normal rotation of football podcasts, just to kind of you know maybe if there was something I missed or kind of to, to help form my opinion on particular things or what have you, or just you know some of them I just find them purely entertaining. And I didn't have the heart to listen to any of them today, and I don't think I'm going to listen to them this week um it was a total choke job um at every level i mean and like jace mentioned it even people like marlon humphrey like were tweeting after the game like i realized i just it just hit me that this was the team this was the one that was supposed to do it and since you know and 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 again just like since 2001 when the patriots won their super bowl or 2002 i guess was the first one that they won um we fall at the mercy of a super team of a juggernaut of somebody that's going to be in our lives for years and years and i don't think there is any light at the end of the tunnel um at least at this moment in time so really excited to see you guys thanks for coming and uh yeah let's i guess let's uh let's let's dive into it why not yeah uh a game where the only scenario we didn't want as ravens fans was Chiefs getting out to a good start, Ravens falling behind by two scores, and that changing the philosophy of the game. That happens just right off the jump. But then even the... We didn't get blown out. We Of course, we couldn't get blown out because that would have just proven, you know what, they weren't the better team. They weren't the better team. They lost to a better squad. They, the other team made more plays, but it wasn't even that. It was just the Ravens hanging around, lingering. We we talked about it a few times during the game. They're in it, but it feels like they're not. Uh, and it feels like they're never going to get over this hump, and they never did, even though the score kind of didn't change for 
very long stretches <laughs> of painful football, making it even worse, where it's not the Ravens losing to a superior opponent, but the Ravens defeating themselves over and over and over again. Worse than any of the three losses that they had in the in the regular season. Where was that ex- same exact recipe? We're going to start with the defense here. Uh, a tale of two halves for them, obviously. Uh, they, they start out trying to rush only four, playing zone. That gets demolished just immediately with Patrick Mahomes taking the three and four yard completions all first half. The second half, they then they switch it up a little bit uh, and they start blitzing. They start playing significantly more man-to-man. Proved much more effective. The, the, uh, the, the mantra of you can't blitz Patrick Mahomes because that's going to come back to but Canna was the opposite in, in this game where when they weren't blitzing him and rushing four, it got picked up a ton and he had time to just scan and look around. But when they did blitz, they had a lot of free rushers, and that's when he had to either bail quickly or roll out quickly or even get sacked a few times. That was more effective, and it's it's frustrating to me that it took a half, I guess, to, to get to that um, when it was really just the Chiefs in the first half doing whatever they wanted on every single play. And then the, fin- the final play, the most frustrating thing to me that really gives... You know, you try to look at this whole game, and you say they held him to 17 points. That's like a A minus effort in a playoff game against the Chiefs. I can't, I can't do that based on the slow adjustment. And then the final play, what have you been doing well in the second half? Is blitzing and forcing him to make decisions faster than he wants to. Final play, third and nine, have to have it to get the ball back. They rush four, they drop things back, and Mahomes had like five, six seconds to just sit and then find Valdez Scantling. 30,000 yards downfield for <laughs> one of the worst daggers uh, we've ever had. So that's kind of my take. We can get now a little bit more into into specifics, but a frustratingly slow adjustment, and then when you needed it, reverting back to what didn't work. It was very, very sad and very disappointing uh, to me. I felt like that was the very end was like some very classic, even sort of back to the Ray and Ed days of where uh, the defense is so good for so long and then finally cracks in like the biggest pressure moment because, you know, I still think that kind of falls back more on the offense because like you put them in the situation where like you had to make that stop because like. I don't know. I, I feel like I kind of talk about uh, both sides of my mouth. Because I agree with you, Antonio. It was very disappointing, especially at the end, that they couldn't make that stop. And I thought I, I thought their start was, frankly, a disaster, right? You let them go long touchdown drives, their first two drives. The offense actually answers one of them after they start the game on a three and out. So you go three and out, 10-play touchdown drive. Uh, offense finally scores. 16-play touchdown drive takes up nearly nine minutes. That, that I feel like... Just, like, put them and just, I don't know if it's the old demons for this team, but just kind of put them behind the eight ball. And, you know, at the end of the day, they only gave up 14 points there, two touchdowns. They couldn't have, they gave up too many because the offense scored 10 points. So, like, it's it's one of those things. Like, that. it's very simplistic. They don't score, they don't win. You're not going to hold the Chiefs scoreless, but... I did like that they made the adjustments. I mean, 3.3 yards per play in the second half, only five first downs. Of course, one of those was the game-sealing first down, so that stinks. But 
Yeah, Chiefs 8 for 18 on third down on the day, 1 for 2 on fourth, and it just felt like they were consistently in and short situations, like we said. In the first half, them picking apart, but I felt like Pacheco had some pretty big first down runs that kind of put them ahead of the sticks. And I think defensively, on the whole, what disappointed me the most in this game was you talked last week, Antonio, about what the Chiefs' offense is and how it's Travis Kelsey, uh, Rasheed Rice, and Isaiah Pacheco. And that's all it was in this game, too, for the most part, aside from two catches from Scantling, especially that sealer, because they had no answer for Kelsey. 11 catches, 115, touchdown. Rice had eight catches for 46 yards. And though Pacheco only had 68 yards, it was on 24 carries. They kept giving him the ball. They kept grinding. And like I said, he had a few good runs, and he had four catches. So I think just knowing that, like, obviously you're not going to shut the Chiefs down. Um, And they did have four three-and-outs in this game and 17 points, but... I thought it was a mixed bag just because I thought the start was so poor and just kind of set them, uh, the whole team scrambling a little bit. And even though they settled down, you know, at the end of the day, they didn't do just quite enough. But I can't blame them for this game. I'll have a lot more to say. I I feel like I've been talking way too long already about the defense. I actually have way more to say about the offense. (laughs) But uh, on the whole, I think, you know, I'd say it's a mixed bag sort of defensive effort. But one that still in this spot should have been good enough to beat the Chiefs. You give up 17 points at the end of the day, like, you gotta win the game. Yeah, you guys kind of nailed it, and I think I think we're all in agreement that the offense is the thing that um, is more to blame for this, um, including Lamar Jackson, including Todd Munkin, including, the, like, that, we'll, we'll get to it in a second, but for the defensive side of the football, um, just to re- kind of reemphasize what you guys have already said, I think there was a little bit of panic and it was a different kind of panic that, than the offense certainly had, which we'll get to. But their panic of this Baltimore team as a whole can't figure out what to do when they get punched in the mouth. It was the same thing that we saw in 2019. Um, and unlike the offense, which went into like skittish, throw out the game plan too quick mode, the defense was like stunned and rocking back and forth. Mike Mack didn't have a plan B. I, I heard I heard Daniel Jeremiah, who's an incredible like NFL draft guy and also you know just really really smart about the game. I heard him on a podcast previewing the game, and he mentioned something about how the Ravens are really they kind of play flat footed on defense, where they everything's in front of them and then they attack the football, and it's worked because they've been very disciplined. They're fast and and they they're, they're hungry, mean, aggressive, whatever, all these things. And the Chiefs looked at that and said, okay, well then we can just dink and dunk down the field and leave Travis Kelsey wide open. And as soon as Travis Kelsey is wide open all the time, we're going to go seven yards a play and just work all the way down the field because the Ravens are going to kind of give you those and then tackle afterwards. And there was no adjustment or there was not an adjustment nearly fast enough, as Antonio mentioned. Um, And it put them in a hole quickly. They got out of said hole. But look, there are games where that if one side of the ball is really not performing well, the other one's going to have to step up. So I can't sit here and say, and you know, the defensive players would say this too, obviously I can't sit here and say that they had no fault um, because they, they, there was a lot of faults on their end as well. And like not to do the obvious old man yells at couch thing or yells at cloud thing, excuse (laughs) me. But like, I don't know, put two guys on Travis Kelsey. Like, he, he hasn't looked that good all season long, and you're the best defense in the National Football League. He didn't even look that good against the Bills, but got all the credit because he scored two touchdowns. He was an animal. Um, loved, loved taunting the other players. Didn't get called for that. We'll get to that in a minute. Um, 
you can't let him be on his BS. And he was on his BS the entire game, and they had no solution for it, even when they they made some adjustments. And it just it just is it's it's so infuriating. And I agree with Antonio. This is the worst loss in Ravens history. Um, and it could be high. It could be just the bias of the moment. I don't know, but. Um, it's it's just one of those things where you, everybody can see what the problem is, and they were so stunned by the right hook that came from Kansas City that they weren't able to adjust it quick enough. And and we're sitting here today, um, you know, crying into our vodka. Took into like what halfway through the second quarter for an incompletion. Yeah. I, I don't even know if it was that early. It may have been later, later in the <laughs> game when that actually happened. Took until the second half for a Mahomes to Kelsey incompletion like that's how just a unincompletion that's how bad this was and that's how soft it was the pass rush getting there with four something that they have has literally been the defense's bread and butter all season simulated pressure getting there with four wasn't there because of how quickly the ball was getting out but also it seemed like at first they were aggressive with four and Mahomes would step up, he'd step through, he'd avoid it, and then these plays would get to be to like eight, nine, ten seconds long. And then I do think they kind of changed pretty quickly where it was more about contain, rush but mostly to contain. So he just sat, and he didn't roll, and he didn't step, and he just stayed comfortably and found the same exact solutions. And then that's when they finally said, okay, plan C is now we need to start blitzing, which worked pretty well. Um, <laughs> so f- frustrating to end on a terrible note, not give up any points in the entire second half of a playoff game is certainly <laughs> a good way to stand up when when you need to, but just on the whole, a step slow to, to everything when you don't have time and space to do that and the margins are so thin. Offensively, I mean, what what do you what what can you even say here? They were terrible all game really uh and then when they finally did put some plays together they made disastrous mistakes at the worst possible moments even before that though when they were still in the terrible all game phase everything looked so hard so difficult so labored we talked about it a couple of times it was halftime and i think they had had one completed pass to a receiver in the structure of the play. Maybe two in an entire half of football with a couple of throws to running backs, a miraculous, and now just looks like it's like almost like an embarrassing play, the Lamar Jackson batted ball that he catches. Like The narrative on that changes from this guy is doing things no player in the history of the sport has ever done, and now it's just going to be this play of like, Look at how bad this was. <laughs> Look at how bad this offense was. That that was one of the best plays that they had in the entire game. I, the running game has one thing. You know, there's so much to talk about here. I don't <laughs> want to get into it too much without uh, sort of starting to scream or cry or scream cry. <laughs> but the, the biggest issue for me, looking at it, big picture stuff, it was so difficult. Everything was so hard. There were no just three-step drop, pop, take the five, take the seven. And you can't have that. And you saw it on the first drive, and you saw it on the fifth drive, and you saw it on the ninth drive. And they never figured that out. They basically were kind of fortunate 
with some big plays to stay in the game, but other than that, it was just absolutely outclassed from a preparation standpoint, X's and O's standpoint, play calling, and then just the result on the field. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to do everything at once because I think we're going to go back and forth here a little bit on on um, on this. So let's leave the running game thing for a second and just talk about the offensive game plan from a passing standpoint. This is the panic for me. This is the epitome of the panic. This was the Greg Roman, they, they would throw the ball like four times a game and then they're down by seven points and all of a sudden they're throwing it 50 times. It looked like that again, um, and like Antonio mentioned, it wasn't like simple stuff. It was never, and Lamar's never been good at this, so I don't know if it's a scheme thing or him or, you know, as my final point is going to be, probably both, is that there was nothing over the middle when you have Rashad Bateman, Zay Flowers, and Odell Beckham Jr., who are all very good on like an inside slant. There's nothing, three-step three drop and out, three-step drop and out, go this, go that, everything Looked complicated, looked rushed, looked out of sync, and you kept doing the same thing over and over again rather than just simplifying things. It was a disgusting display of offensive football from a team that, again, they, they for whatever reason, steamrolled in the regular season, and they never got challenged. And when they did get challenged in this game against an opponent in a high-pressure situation... Lamar Jackson was not able to come through it. He was not helped by his offensive coordinator. This is not going to be, you know, first take where I'm like, you got to choose a side. Whose fault was it? Todd Munkin or Lamar Jackson? It was both of their faults. They were both pitiful on Sunday. Lamar Jackson had one of the worst displays I've ever seen from him in the biggest moment of his career. We can no longer be the Twitter warriors about Lamar Jackson when people say he can't do it in the big game. Because guess what? He can't. He didn't. He beat up on a Houston Texans team that shouldn't have been there. And then when it came to the the real opponents that he's going to have to beat, that by the way, we'll get to it later, he's going to have to beat more and more in the regular season when you got Jim Harbaugh and the Chargers now. You've got maybe a healthy Aaron Rodgers, Joe Burrow being back. The Steelers will figure something out. Maybe Russell Wilson. who, Who knows? Like, these... Not to mention Patrick Mahomes again, right? And Josh (laughs) Allen and all these other people. It's only going to get harder from here. And he's showing that he is a step below MVP or no MVP right now. He is a step below those guys when it comes to producing in the big moment. And he hasn't done it again. And there is no sense in trying to defend him from that. Um, Todd Bunkin, embarrassing. Absolutely embarrassing set of play calling, and, and you know I, I'll leave I'll leave the conversation, and, and we'll do the running game stuff in a bit. But like, when when idiots like me are looking at the TV and going like, and I always say this, and I know it's it's a weird it's a weird comparison, right, or a weird metaphor, but I've said it on this podcast before. Offensive football in sync should kind of feel like jazz. There's just a rhythm to it. Sometimes you freestyle a little bit, and that's fine when it sounds good. But there's always a like you can tap your foot to good offensive football a lot of the time. And this was like screamo mixed with country, mixed with <laughs> Beethoven, thrown in a little like a like mumble rap. Like I, I don't know what was going on with with this with this um, genre of offensive music, I guess. And that's on Lamar Jackson um, for just wilting in the biggest moment and that's on Todd Munkin who I mean what 
an absolutely atrocious display of run pass combination, the not getting the best guys on the field, Gus Edwards. Like it just it was embarrassing. And the Chiefs were the Chiefs are just like, sure, why not? We're gonna benefit from this. And um and yeah, that's the main reason that they lost this game on Sunday. It, it it just felt so labored, and I think that's part of what's so disappointing is we've watched it before. Seventeen to three against the Bills, you know, the Titans game. This is becoming a trend. Um, uh, our last three playoff exits with Lamar. Um, it seems like I don't know. I don't know if it's a pressure thing. It might be a literal pressure thing when he gets pressure put on him. It, Things change. That's part of it. And, and it felt like unlike the Texans game last week where he was doing these these deep dropbacks to nowhere and everything was deep and uh, like there just came no adjustment. And I don't know. That's might just be. And we talked and we talked about this, too, Jace. And we've talked about it all year of the amount of times we've screamed, just get the ball out. <laughs> and then when stuff happens, you're just like, OK, well, I guess this is just who Lamar Jackson is. And guess what? This is the negative side of that, of the not being able to get the ball out and just kind of going willy-nilly through everything. Yeah, and I think, like, the 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 top example of that, and, like, is that interception. The, the, it was just a hero, like a horrendous decision by him. He gets a ball stripped out of his hand, holding it too long early in the game. That luckily doesn't come back to bite them because the Chiefs uh, end up going for it on fourth down and don't get it. Um, but so he, he has a strip sack, and he throws a, uh, an interception and a triple coverage in this game. When... You know, a touchdown, even a field goal at that point, would really put pressure on the Chiefs. And it just he just made an awful, awful, awful decision trying to throw to your backup tight end <laughs> in triple coverage in the end zone. And, it, like, that's just uh, – I mean, just those – the mistakes alone is, I think, the differentiator in this game. It's two Lamar fumbles – or two Lamar turnovers and then the atrocious – Zay fumble, and the Chiefs don't turn the ball over at all. And you lose a game 17-10. to 10, That's why. You turn the ball over three more times. So, you know, ball security, like Tim said, we've been talking about it all year, um, and it hadn't reared its head in several weeks uh, for the Ravens. Feels like a while since Lamar threw an interception. Um, he hadn't been strip-sacked in a while. That, of course, both happened in this game at the worst times. And, um, yeah, to, to Tim's point on Munkin, it kind of seemed like, like Steve Spagnuolo just might have pantsed uh, our offensive coordinator. Like, because clearly they didn't. He absolutely did. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Whatever they were doing, uh, the Ravens had absolutely no answer for it. Um, and, yeah, I, I think, Tim, you used the word embarrassing. I think that's a good, a good descriptor of it because I, I thought it, for as good as this team had played all year to submit this kind of offensive performance in your biggest game of the season, um, in your biggest game in 10 years. That's pretty embarrassing. So, yeah, I thought Lamar is bad. Um, it just is going to restart all the – well, and Tim said, can Lamar win in the playoffs? I don't know. He's 2-4 and four now, and he beat the Titans in the wild card round and a Texans team that's kind of was happy to be here. So it's not a great track record compared to other two-time MVPs his age, which Mike Sando was – uh, pointing out that's a that's a tough look yeah there's certain stats of like what he's done at this age like everybody has a championship uh under their belt at like that time or something like that yeah. there's also some stat about like lamar the amount of pass attempts that he's had to have when behind this season has been remarkably small and and actually remarkably small in his career and and antonio before you go and then i know we want to transition to the running game stuff too 
that point from Jace there, this is the thing. I have people in my life, my myself included, but I have definitely some some friends who are like Lamar stands. Like the man could do no wrong. Like legitimately want to name their future children Lamar <laughs> last name I will omit, but if you know my friend group, you know who I'm talking about uh, and some others and and I and I love it. Like I lo- I lo- I do. I honestly love it and I I wish I could love the quarterback as much and I and, and I not there's obviously not getting rid of Lamar Jackson. There's nothing like that. I, I love him. Love number eight, and I want to believe that he can perform in these moments. But even those people, and then other Ravens fans as well, have no ammunition against the fact that anytime somebody went, well, he can't do it in the big game. You know, not bad for a running back. Like we don't have any ammunition anymore because he has not performed at the level that he needs to perform at. For the amount of money he's being paid, for how he's talked about, for the trophies that he is going to rightly earn, you know, after this season with the MVP and what have you, he is not performing the biggest moments, and we have no ammunition to defend him with because of because everybody saw it on Sunday. He crapped the bed, just like the Browns game. He didn't get to the locker room in time, and he crapped all <laughs> over the field, and it it was yeah, it was, it was embarrassing. I I think yeah, it's just unfortunate because it. He is obviously a great player. He's what, like 58 and 19, I believe, is his record. Like, right. they're a winning team. They're going to win. Spoiler alert, this team's going to win 11 or 12 games next year, too. But it just is like, it, it is unfortunate to just have this conversation now every time he does make the playoffs. Is like, he could win in the regular season, but can he win in the playoffs? Now, one other counterpoint Mike Sando brought up um, Peyton Manning, also two and four in his first six playoff games. Um, However, uh, Sando pointed out that uh, the Colts had the 29th-ranked scoring defense over Manning's first six seasons. The Ravens have had the number two scoring defense since Lamar took over as starter. We've had a team to do it, and I think this team specifically is the best of all those teams to do it. And to just to hit, for him to not have his best game when you needed his best game against the actual best player in the NFL. That's, I think what hurts is he, you know, you're going to make mistakes. Everyone does. But um, I think just how poor the quality was on Sunday when you needed his best or even close to his best. And you got a C minus D plus performance from him. That hurts. And that's why the Ravens aren't playing ultimately because they scored, you know, we'll get into the, the rushing in a second, and uh, maybe we can delve into the turnovers more, Zay, specifically. Like, I think that's ultimately what sunk them, those turnovers, but two of the three turnovers were Lamar. <laughs> so it's like you needed him at his best, and, and you just didn't get it on Sunday. And, yeah, he's the highest-paid player on the team, one of the highest-paid players in the league. You just need more, even when things aren't going right. And I thought, yeah, Todd Bunkett had an awful game, but the opportunity win was still there as bad as they played, and they still put up 10 points. So that's kind of on him to some degree at the end of the day. Jace, I'll argue you didn't even need his best. You needed his, like, three quarters. Yeah, 100%. And that would have been maybe comfortably enough. They were still in this stupid game (laughs) with him being terrible and the offense being terrible and them having two turnovers into the opposing team's end zone in the second half. They were still in this game with a third down with a minute and a half minute or whatever it was to play. You just need a couple of plays in structure. And that's where, you know, we don't, 
we don't generally do this anyway, but haven't had a ton of time to actually look at some of the all 22. I think there's a chance that it's going to look better for Munkin and worse for Lamar. I have a, mm. I have a gut feeling that when you look at the entirety of the game doing the all 22, maybe even specifically to the first half, there's a reason that Jackson is hold, holding the ball, holding, 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 and it's not so much, this play didn't work, this design makes no sense, but a player who has struggled in the postseason and has gotten an avalanche of media attention about struggling in the postseason was tight, especially early in the game when you have to see it, throw it, hit it, and be accurate, and it's not a guy's not going to be wide open. If we think of his completions in this game... Half of them were two wide-open receivers. Not a lot of them in contested areas or with a guy draped all over him where the ball is, you know, the only way that it's going to be caught is with his receiver or nobody else. He had a couple of wide-open plays to Flowers. He had a wide-open throw to Aguilar that turns into a big a big game down the sideline. You know, I'm, I'm just kind of, I'm speaking here without knowing, of course, and that's why I'm saying probably or maybe or we'll see, but a lot of it was him sitting, holding, 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 and everybody screaming at the television to get rid of the ball or step up or move, get roll out of the pocket or things like that. I have to believe that some of it is just not being fully like with how the play is supposed to go and then trusting yourself and making an accurate delivery in a tight window. And that's frustrating because that has been, that's the one kind of missing piece in the stereotyping or not. Um, that has been the missing piece a lot. Um, and we didn't see it. We didn't see barely any of it in, in one of the most important games of his career. You know what else didn't help him? <laughs> if we want to get, let's flip this back to Munkin. Running the football. T- taking the ball from your center and handing it to uh, what's called a tailback, a running back, <laughs> a halfback sometimes, and just handing it to him nice and securely and saying, go forwards, and all you got to do is get like three, four yards, and that's a win of a play. Never saw it, really. Uh, not early, not in the middle of the game, and not late, when this was still a close football game throughout. What what happened? What the hell happened with the imbalance of not being interested in running the football? Again, I not to not to recycle the point over and over again, but like I want this team to go ten and seven and have to come back in like four games next year and be a wild card team that is constantly down by fourteen and finding ways to come back and doing it not by miraculous ways, doing it by not losing their heads. As soon as something bad happens, as soon as they take one punch, because that's what this was. As I mentioned before, the defense was almost stunned and kind of like wobbling back and forth. So they didn't make adjustments in time. The offense ran out of the ring. Like they just they just threw their papers up in the air and said, I don't know what to do here. I don't know what to do here. And completely, completely got away from a game plan that would have worked for whatever reason. The Chiefs go up, was it two scores early, and the Ravens thought they had to win a shootout, and the Chiefs went, we got them. When the Ravens could have just bullied them and kept to their game plan against, by the way, a defense that is very good against the pass with guys like Legereus Sneed, who ended up making the big play on Zay Flowers, and not very good against the run. 
they're just not a good run defense. And they had they had questions at linebacker already. I, I think Willie Gay was out for the game as well, like one of their best linebackers as well. You could have run the ball down their throat uh, and kept this game just as close as it was. Lamar even said, like, oh, we just thought we had to get the ball down the field and because you're down at that point. That's the wrong mentality. The, wrong, the mentality is, all right, not the best start. We're going to stick to our guns here and do what we do best, and we're going to be in this football game, and we trust our defense to figure it out. Because guess what? The defense pretty much figured it out, uh, as we mentioned earlier in this. In this. And, and I'll just read this. This comes from Ian, uh, Ian Harditz, who is from MB Fantasy Life. Um, really good follow on just like nerdy football stat stuff. And just just bear with me here, gentlemen. Here's the tweet. Quote, Ravens total running back carries per game from week one to the AFC championship. 24, so starting in week one. 24, 21, 22, 21, 19, 24, 18, 23, 27, 16, 21, 22, 15, 30, 19, 25, 17, 31, 6. 6. The lowest number before that is 16. And th- and there's an 18 and a 19, but most of them are in the low to mid-20s. And, and then there's a big 31 in the Texans game. 6. It is an embarrassing, embarrassing malpractice of an offense to, 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 be, to execute like that. To have Justice Hill, God love Justice Hill. He's had he's had resurgence this year. He's been much better on the offensive side of the football than he's ever been. The fact that he is getting some of these short yardage carries over the best battering ram in the National Football League and Gus Edwards is ridiculous. Gus Edwards in this game had three carries for 20 yards. He had a 15-yard carry. He got the ball three times in this football game. Three times against what was it? I think it's the 28th ranked run defense in the National Football League. And you give the guy who is better at wearing people down than almost anybody in this league three times. It's a joke. It's an absolute joke. It makes no sense. Your quarterback's not even playing that well. And instead of trying to give him any sort of help, trying to make things a bit easier for him, trying to take off this incalculable amount of pressure that is on his shoulders at this point because of what Antonio mentioned in the media and, and and all the criticism that he gets and frankly, I think rightly so you give Gus Edwards the ball three times, you give Justice Hill the ball three times. Six carries for your running backs. It, it's a joke. It's an absolute joke. Yeah, it, it's absolutely baffling and to me it's the biggest sin of this entire game outside of those turnovers. I think the turnovers are ultimately why they lost. Um, it, regardless like given how the game played out but this was just inexplicable and and tim you mentioned like three of those six carries by running backs came on their first two drives so that means after they went down four just 14 to 7 they gave their ball to their running backs three more times the entire game and and it's just that's just not good enough and this to me comes back on john harbaugh too because this is where like you're the ceo coach and you'd love to run the football. It's like, what are you doing? Like, did, like tell – if Todd's not going to call it, you got to be like, hey, man, run the ball. Like, <laughs> otherwise, like, I don't know. What's going on there? Uh, it's so strange. And that was, I think, what frustrated me. You know, Harbaugh's never going to be a guy. He's never going to throw a player under the bus to the media uh, uh, or a coach uh, after the game. It's just not what he does. And I think that's commendable uh, in a lot of ways. But, like – 
I saw this quote and I was like, you just got to give me something better than this. He was asked why they didn't run more. And he said, it was that kind of a game. That's the way it worked out. It's like, great. Thanks, John. (laughs) You get $10 million a year for that. That's just inexcusable. And so, yeah, I, I, I completely agree. And I think just this lack of even trying to run the ball is sort of like, I think it directly stunted the offense because it's just not what they do it's completely like they ran the ball 42 times last week and Lamar still scrambled for eight times this game but even that's like not that many comparatively and to just basically be like with win one score or 10 points nearly the entire game like the Chiefs go up 14 to 7 it's still what or very early in the second quarter right that that happens and you just like abandon the run entirely. Um, yeah. 10 56, they go up 14 to seven and you run the ball three more times with your running backs, the whole rest of the game. It was just, it was inexplicable. And I think it's what led to, they didn't have a, they had one drive over nine plays in this game. They, they only, you know, they had 57 plays to the chiefs, um, 73, just double checking that number. But, uh, yeah, yeah, 57 to 73. It was just, I think just the not running the ball just led everything to get disjointed. It led to this being like labored offense we were talking about. And it just led to these short drives um, and led to the defense being on the field more. Um, and yeah, I just think it hung everyone out to dry and I don't get it. I don't know why Todd Munkin did it. I don't know why John Harbaugh didn't ask him to run the ball more. I, I don't get any aspect to it, but I think... Yeah, outside of, like I said, outside of those turnovers, which, you know, that's always going to be the biggest number one thing you look to in any football game. And these turnovers were particularly bad, especially the Zay one, when you think you're celebrating a touchdown and instead uh, it's still a 10-point game. That was awful. But outside of those, this was the most annoying, confusing and truly anger-inducing aspects of this game to me. They just, they just could. I think it's what you said, Tim. They completely panicked. They got punched in the mouth and they panicked and they yeah. dropped their game plan. Um, and maybe Lamar's, Lamar's not good enough to, <laughs> to do that. I think that's kind of all it uh, runs down to, at least in a game of this magnitude. So it was frustrating. It was annoying. And uh, yeah, I don't, I don't even know what you do about it, really. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what the conversation is in the building today. It just sucks. It just really sucks. And hopefully they figure it out because you can't have, like you said, Tim, maybe maybe they need to be down more next year and figure it out, that kind of thing, because it can't happen again, not in the playoffs. I just want to repeat one thing that Jay said there that I literally didn't believe when he said it, so I had to go look. It's true. After the Chiefs took a 14-7 to lead in the second quarter, the Ravens had running backs run the ball three times the entire rest Jesus. of the football game. It is and that that's I mean it's a that's a fireable offense <laughs> for a first year <laughs> offensive coordinator in a seven point game to have three designed let's say running back runs in two and a half quarters of football in a playoff game when you are a team that runs the ball. And throws it less than almost anybody in the entire NFL. I'm not a fire coaches guy. Especially not a first year guy who had a ton of success. That is a fireable offense. That is a... I have no faith in that person as a coordinator, as a play caller. When there's any sort of nervousness or pressure or big moment. Because that is insane. 
to do that so rarely in, a, in the entire second half plus of a close playoff game when that is your entire philosophy is running the ball and then throwing off of it and just they ra- they ran 42 times last week against the Texans and they had 16 rushing attempts in this game and six for running backs it's just it's baffling <laughs> i don't get it I'm like starting to stop myself from getting too steamed. I'm mean, so insane. Jace accidentally like triggered me with the three carries. Let's talk about more disastrous plays. Um, the penalties. Because if you're a Baltimore Ravens fan, you can't have a bad loss without 75 penalties. Just personal fouls. Four in this one. You, I would argue, cannot really have one in a playoff game, and they had four, which is a joke. Only one of the four being, like, a football play, uh, which is the Travis Jones, maybe even that one's not really a football play. Like, it looks like he's trying to knock a pass down. Kind of seem more like, here's an opportunity to clock Mahomes because we've been told to hit him as often as possible in this game. The other two, one is your rookie, making a rookie mistake. The other one's your veteran making a rookie mistake. Just some really great stuff from everybody involved uh, on the field with personal fouls. The fourth one is technically the Roquan Smith uh, offside play. That Do they call it offside? No, they call it unnecessary <laughs> roughness because he pushed an off. Because he kind of shoved an offensive lineman to the ground. It's frustrating because you want to complain against every call. It's not even really that all the calls that were made against the Ravens, I would say, are pretty good calls. Pretty correct calls. But they are only correct in the face of consistency. You can only call mm-hmm. a, sh- a little mild shove down when an offensive lineman is like already like leaning on his heels, like he's not ready for the ball to be snapped. It's not going to take a lot for him to be tipped over. If that's unnecessary roughness then you can't have a player on the other team shove a guy after the whistle in the back. You can't have another guy holding on to, to a guy to a guy's leg so that he can't get up. He can't get, can't get up after the play is over. You can't have a blatant hold that the entire field is looking at because the quarterback has rolled out, is staring at this receiver, and he gets held as the ball is being thrown to him. And the entire field is looking like what is happening right now. When the defensive chief player is like, okay, good, I prevented a deep pass with that hold, oh, good, there's no flag at all. And that's the uh, infuriating part of all this, is the number of penalties called for one team, ticky-tack, correct, by the rule book, sure. But if you are going to call ticky-tack by the rule penalties, you have to call all of them. And they called exactly zero of the ticky-tack calls on one team, and every single opportunity against the other, and that is not fun. It's not. It's not fun in the no fun league. And congratulations, NFL. Think of all that money coming in for Taylor Swift being at the Super Bowl. Ooh, ooh, does it feel good? It's and so we didn't do this in on last week's episode because I think the stats came a bit later. I think, but um, Warren Sharp pointed this out. Uh, NFL referee Sean Smith and just the plain blatant discrepancy of what he calls for the away team versus what he calls for the home team i don't know if he's like i want to shut these fans up whatever antonio i brought it to the attention of the the group i was super annoyed about it antonio 
as usual, the calmer head, the more logical person saying, well, these are kind of stupid, and the person bringing them up definitely likes to do a little clickbaity stuff sometimes, because we don't actually know which of these are good and which of these aren't. And my my response back to him was, that's a very valid point. I'm still going to blame it on this guy because this is ridiculous. <laughs> and my biggest overarching, more serious point on that is Antonio's right. There's no conspiracy. Like, there, there's no conspiracy. Yes, the NFL obviously wants the most annoying couple, and I'm only talking about the man in the relationship. I have no problem with Taylor Swift. Um, they want them in the Super Bowl. They want them in Vegas. You're going to have two weeks of Taylor Swift content now, guys. Congratulations. I won't be watching a minute of it, but that's great for you. Awesome. Awesome. Great. Super fun. You cannot put that referee in that game when it's so blatant that way. Not if he's doing it intentionally, just for the fact of that is a bad look. And then it comes to fruition. It comes to fruition where Antonio is absolutely right. It When we complain about referees, and we will preface all of this, with the referee did not win this game for the Chiefs. The Chiefs didn't win this game. The Ravens lost this game, which is what I've said about Ravens games, I think, my entire life. We are not saying that there's a conspiracy here. We are not saying that the referee caused the Chiefs to win. What we are saying is that consistency is the most frustrating point. When, for whatever reason, subconsciously is the most logical answer here, the referee basically referees both teams differently, that is when we start to have problems. And that is exactly what happened yesterday. The Ravens shot themselves in the foot. They screwed up. But Travis Kelsey is taunting every single player every time he makes a catch. He is shoving guys. He's pushing guys out of the way. He's doing almost everything that Zay Flowers did. But you're going to call the ticky-tack one on the rookie wide receiver and not the guy who is probably the most popular player you know, in the sport right now because of who he's dating. It's ridiculous. And the fact that they put this referee in this situation, they, they, they know these stats. Like if Warren Sharp can look up these stats, the NFL knows these stats too. And they said, this is going to be a bad look. We're still going to do it anyway. You can be cynical and be like, they love this because then people are going to talk about it and get angry. And when people are angry, they watch more, they interact more, whatever. Fine. Totally here to hear that cynical conversation because I am a cynic myself. But I'm not saying he was trying to let the Chiefs win. But it's just when a, when a ref already has that kind of mentality, Antonio nails it. The consistency is, just wasn't right. And it, it, was, it was ridiculous. That being said, it's all the Ravens' fault. I mean, they screwed it up. But still, just it's, it's another layer that it makes it even more infuriating essentially yeah kelsey not getting like a single personal foul was He's annoying insane <laughs> he was He's insane for how he was acting he was acting hey. and i'll get to this later he was acting like a high schooler picking on a kindergartner in a wheelchair <laughs> like that's what he was doing this entire game and it was just absolutely ridiculous and but no no not for the golden boy nothing nothing harms the golden boy yeah and i said that's yeah just the the you know the whole kind of stars in general have on refs that a player like Zay Flowers, frankly, doesn't yet. Uh, you know, ref, stars get calls and don't get calls, I think maybe even more importantly in this context uh, than other players. But I think the uh, not really even a counterpoint, but my only thing, I guess, with the refs is like 
refs across the NFL are a total disgrace. It's they got yeah. the worst ref situation I think in any of the major sports at this point. Um, like I, I think like baseball refs are pretty good for the most part. Umps are pretty good and. Hockey refs, they never called penalties, but that's what the NHL wants. And uh, basketball, I think they're fine uh, for how the game is for the most part. But, uh, um, yeah, it's <laughs> the, the NFL is by far the worst of the major sports when it comes to referees. And that's, I think, I'm like, yeah, maybe Sean Smith stinks. But it's like, here, you got to put Carl Cheffers out there. you got to put Brad Allen, who screws something up every other week. Like, it's just... Like Ed Hockley's kid, there's just like everyone stinks in this league <laughs> who's a ref and a crew. It's just, it's bad across the board. Um, so, like, as annoying as it was, uh, I'm like, I don't know. I feel like it could have been equally bad with the different ref crew. I think, I think the, the, the state of NFL refing is just so bad that. Um, it, sometimes it's hard to overcome and they certainly, you know, you don't see four personal fouls a lot. That was definitely interesting, but, um, yeah, I don't know. I also think so little, I guess, of refs <laughs> across the board that I'm not surprised. And as Tim said, that's, it's not the reason they lost. They lost because the turnovers and because they didn't run the ball and the offense in general, uh, was really bad. So that's why they lost. Um, but certainly the penalties didn't help. I mean, ultimately maybe you could say it cost them three points. But even then, they didn't. They would have given up 14 points and scored 10. So, you know, it ultimately, I don't think cost them the game. But it was very annoying in the moment, for sure. I'm reminded of a few weeks ago when, in the aftermath of the Kadarius Tony offside penalty, Patrick Mahomes in his press conference said that it was like an abomination that they had dared throw a penalty on a play that ruined... Uh, another chapter in the Travis Kelsey legacy book. Uh, real thing he said. Antonio's how, not uh, embellishing any of this. Yeah. Like how, how dare they, as refs, call a penalty on a play that would have been so amazing for Travis Kelsey's legacy. And that just kind of fits for me. That, that fits as... Uh, ooh, I want to say agenda, but I won't say agenda. Um, it just fits the, like, this player is this player. So he is he is untouchable. He can do whatever he wants. And we will, however, have our eye on every other thing that happens that we don't like, that we thought was a little bit too much uh, on every other player on the other team. And I hate it. And this is what I've become. We How far, what are we, what are we 30, 50 minutes in here? And I've lost my mind. And I'm going <laughs> cynical mode. Um, because I hate this game. And I hate this yeah. team, which I have said. I think four times, the four different points this season. I will just say this to wrap this up, um, because it, you know, the spotlight is always going to be on the Chiefs, so maybe you just see it more. But it, re- it reminds me of the Patriots, and not only we just have this villain now, this super, this super villain. This I'm trying to think like a, like if Superman went bad. Like, not even like the Joker, because they're not chaotic. It's like the all-powerful, almighty went bad and started wreaking chaos in the entire NFL. And that is what they are. Thanos, there we go. That That's a way better one in the MCU. way better than uh, anything DC's ever put out. There's your <laughs> nerd moment of the week. Um, not only do we have that, but then you get all of these. And it is, I think, again, it is not a conspiracy, but it is a subconscious thing of the Chiefs get the calls. 
They just do. The good teams usually get the calls. Like the holding penalty in the in the Super Bowl against the Eagles. It was holding. But like it's still just one of those things of like how can they keep getting away with this? And then they talk about Travis Kelsey's legacy and Mahomes is the biggest whiner out of all of them and he showed that to us multiple times this season like screaming like Kermit the Frog at the referees constantly. They have become this entitled and and Chiefs fans will never admit it but they know we're right. They have become this entitled group that think they are above the law, that think they are above the rest of the National Football League. And you know what? Credit to them. They kind of are. They kind of are based on what they've been doing. But it doesn't mean that they should get called like they're above other people as well. And it's just... We have been dealing with Thanos since 2002. Since we were basically nine years old. We have been dealing with a team... By the way, in our conference, that we have to go through every year if we want to win a Super Bowl. Um, and we finally thought we killed one. And like like that, what is it? What's the, the Hydra? Like the Hydra, you cut off the head and three more appear. And this one was Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes, and Travis Kelsey. All just sprouted up out of the dead corpse of the Patriots. And now it's what we're dealing with again. And it's... It sucks. I just hate it. I just hate it. I'm whining. I know I'm whining. I'm sounding like Patrick Mahomes now. I know I'm just <laughs> whining about it. But to have it and then to this to be the moment, right? You're the team. You're the team. You're, we can do this. We finally got this. And not only do they win, they win in very annoying fashion with you completely crapping the bed in the biggest possible stage. And that is where we are today of just – Losers. We are just losers. Losers, every one of us. We are just losers for getting invested in this and having it crumble at our feet again. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly... Everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Speaking of losers, because I'm done talking about this stupid game and this team. Uh, speaking of losers, the Lions lost 31-34 <laughs> to the San Francisco 49ers. Don't worry, everyone. We're only going to do about 5 to 10 minutes on this game and then go back to the Ravens. A lot of things happened in this game, but the stuff that has gotten the most attention has been the Lions head coach Dan Campbell's coaching decisions, and we are going to embrace debate uh, on the show because my co-hosts and I do not agree on Dan Campbell's fourth down <laughs> decisions, fourth down and other decisions um, as this game went along. 
I had to leave Tim's after the Ravens game. It was just, it was, as you have just now heard over the last 10 minutes of this episode, that was like what I was afraid was going to happen at Tim's house, that I was going to turn into this like angry, annoying post Ravens loss guy. So I just had to, I had to just leave, leave the house and, and drive home. So don't I, worry. We were, we were all doing that. Like, <laughs> like, I, I was the host and I was probably the worst culprit. So it's completely fine. By the way. <sighs> That is welcome in the horsey household. Screaming at the television, you know things that probably will never be said on these airwaves. By the way, no, I don't remember any that, of it. No, no, are no. said in that basement just in pure blind rage. Blind rage is okay during Ravens games. It is okay to accept blind rage, and uh, that's yeah, that's what we were all feeling on Sunday. Uh, so I I end up watching this game uh, at the personal crib while Jason Tim uh, were watching it still at Tim's house. The the Lions game, 49ers game. I don't like it. I don't like the going for it all the time. And I am an analytics guy. I I agree with the going for two when you score the first touchdown down 14. That makes sense to me. I agree with going for it on fourth and shorts in the majority of the cases. I also believe in looking at the situation within the game that you were playing against the opponent you were playing with the team that you have in what this game is and i am ready to get attacked by i don't know 52 percent of uh football fans everywhere because it seems like a pretty nice even split here with complaining about analytics and going for it and all this i think dan campbell almost single-handedly lost his team this game with his with three in my opinion terrible decisions a good coach, in my opinion, is not one who like he sticks to his guns no matter the circumstance. This is the this is the what he's been doing all season. So this is what he's gonna do: bang your head into the wall of like this is what I do. So I do this here. A good coach to me is one who is not afraid to change his own philosophy given the circumstances. You are up 17 on the road as a touchdown underdog. Because you played well in the first half, you had a couple of good things happen. The 49ers come out and they get a field goal and they trim your 17-point lead to a 14-point lead. Well, the crowd wakes up. There's momentum, dare I say, momentum going back into that stadium. You have a drive of your own. You are now in field goal range on fourth and whatever it was, fourth and two, fourth and three. Like manageable field goal range, not a 50-yarder. Very makeable field goal. You can put the lead right back to what it was at halftime. A three-score, 17-point lead halfway through the third quarter of the NFC Championship game. You're going to deflate the sales out of what the 49ers were just able to do. They have to start all over again from scratch, basically down 17 like they were at halftime. And it's one of those, like, if you're the 49ers, what are you praying that the Lions do here. Do you want them to kick the field goal or do you want them to go for it? I hope they go for it so that we can stop them and keep this a two-score game and have good field position and attack again like we just did the previous drive. That one, to me, was bad. The next one, down a field goal, not kicking a field goal to tie it in the NFC Championship game, going for it again, was maybe worse. And in on top of all of this, 
before we even get to the running the ball with a minute left and burning a timeout when you need it, if he's a guy who goes for it, if they're a team that goes for it and they're not afraid and we want to be aggressive whenever we can, then why did they kick a field goal at the end of the first half when they were in the exact same, dare I say, a better scenario for them to go for it? They're on the three-yard line. They're up 14. They're a team that goes for it. Why didn't they go for it then and make it a 21-point game? Because the head coach thought for a second and decided, you know what? I want to be up three scores at halftime. I want these points. So we're kicking the field goal and we're going into half up 17. That was a scenario where succeeding on the go for it for two, three yards is seven points. The other two scenarios in saying we need to go for it is first and 10 at the San Francisco 30-yard line. Their worst wins than when he didn't go for it. I think he made disastrous mistakes all game when he had opportunities to change his philosophy based on the situation, and he did not. And I'm not even getting into running it to burn a timeout when you're down two scores and you need to score, kick the ball, and get the ball back and have three timeouts. It was just frustrating because he's been like their like heart and all that stuff, but you have to, and he read the situation at the end of the first half and then didn't do that anymore in worse scenarios and just did the head into the wall, this is who we are, this is what we do. And I think he cost his underdog, scrappy team a legitimate chance to go to the Super Bowl. These are good points. You bring up Antonio. Uh, if I could just offer a defensive tip of myself, I think, uh, at least I can speak for me, I, I think I was still in the fog. And uh, I think my thought process was just about as uh, the extent of it was like, hell yeah, Dan Campbell. I think <laughs> I think that's kind of all it might have been for us, uh, at least for me. Um, I, it's weird. I, I think we kind of wanted him to go for it or thought he might right before halftime. But then I, I kind of thought that was actually a good call to just add points. But then I guess I'm talking out both sides of my mouth because I did think it was a good call to go for it after the Niners scored. I'm like, yeah, push it to, uh, you know, they moved the ball pretty easily on that drive. I was, I, I thought, you know, push it to 21 point lead and then you might basically be going to the Super Bowl. And they had to play. Josh Reynolds had his hands on the ball. Uh, you know, it wasn't perfect execution, but if he catches that, you know, no one talks about that. That's easy to say, but um, it did unravel. Um, in the absolute most disastrous fashion it could for the Lions, because, uh, what, about two seconds after the turnover on downs, Brock Purdy uh, completes a 50-yard pass that bounces off a Lions defender's face, um, and then suddenly it's a seven-point game. And, and at that point, I was thinking, like, uh-oh. <laughs> and then Jameer Gibbs fumbled on the very first play. It, it just turned very suddenly from that moment. But in the moment, I, I don't know, yeah. I think my, my thoughts... Um, were about uh, just I enjoyed Dan Campbell and I liked the aggressiveness. And I think I like it because I don't really care one way or the other. Like the Lions are such a non-entity to me as a, you know, an NFL fan in his 30s. Uh, the Lions have never been good in my entire life. So the fact that they're even in the playoffs is exciting. And I like their that they're different. And I like their line and that they like to run the ball and, and all that kind of stuff. So I was supportive just in that sense. But 
certainly in hindsight, it, it blew up spectacularly. They probably should have kicked the field goal. I thought even less at the time about the not kicking the field goal down, but that they should have at least attempted it. I know they don't trust Badgley. He wasn't their starting kicker to start the year. I, I forget who that was, but they got injured at some point, I believe. And um, so I know they, they don't trust their kicker. But it is kind of crazy to eschew what would have been like a 47-yard field goal attempt to tie the game. <laughs> but even that, I kind of tip my cap to him because he, he went down uh, with his ship that has been being aggressive all season. And I know that's no, you know, it, it's staying true to yourself, uh, even if that doesn't make it um, easier for Lions fans today who thought they at halftime they were going to go to the Super Bowl for the first time ever and instead... Uh, have uh, probably the most heartbreaking defeat in the entire franchise's entire history, I would think. Um, certainly their modern history. So, yeah, that that it's brutal. It didn't work out. I, I still I still support it because I, I just like it. I like that there's a coach in the NFL like this that doesn't just kind of uh, see it. I think it's funny that it's analytics, like from a meathead guy, kind of. I think that's part of it. Analytics Dan Campbell is the best character <laughs> yeah. in the uh, yeah. But yeah, it, it's certainly all your points are very salient, and probably um, they kicked the field goal even out of the to to go up twenty seven to ten. It's very likely the Lions are going to the, are playing in the Super Bowl uh, today. Um, so yeah, it didn't work out. I still support it, but it sucks. It how it shook out. Yeah, talking to you today as we record this on Monday night, I think some of the things that you know I, I'm with Jace here. Badgley is 77% from uh, kicks 40 to 49 yards. Both kicks would have been a 46 and a 48-yarder. He ain't no Justin Tucker back there from 40. Um, you know, he misses a quarter of the kicks. Detroit's offense is far and away their better unit compared to their defense. So if you can keep that offense on the field and not have the defense on the field, keep the offense on the field longer, keep the Niners off the field, potentially convert, potentially score more points, I'm kind of... I kind of lean that way as well. Um, you know, obviously in hindsight, it did not work out. But talking to you last night, as we did on the text thread, um, my only defense is Miller Light, and I was just like, <laughs> "Hell yeah, Dan Campbell!" And I had had a copious amount of Miller Lights during the Ravens game, and I was just like, "I love this guy. He should be our coach." I'm sad. I want this guy. He's great. Um, he, not really. I, I love John Harbaugh, um, but although you know, there's some there's some issues. Um, but yeah, but I think. Even all joking aside, I still defend it today just because, yeah, it didn't work out, right? So it would be easy for me to just be like, well, nope, they should have done it the other way. But I think keeping that offense on the field or, you know, chancing that and then just not having, you know, seeing what Tyler Bass did for Buffalo just a week before and having a worse kicker back there, you know, it, I I get it. I, I'll say that. I get it. You know, I totally understand your, your points as well, but I, I don't mind him going for it situations just envisioning the like stress fried hair strands and tim the miller lights piled around and just like yeah. the, you ever played russian roulette as you like slowly <laughs> put the one bullet into the gut this segment brought to you by miller light um all right enough about that let's get back to the ravens and uh get down get down about ourselves <laughs> even even more um again i said at the top we are going to i'm sure get more into this season into these players this team as january turns to february but the one question that i am going to ask now 
you know, the 24 hours after you've been knocked out of the postseason, was this their best shot? I mean, realistically, over these, you know, the the, the Lamar Harbaugh era, let's say, was this their best shot? Are things going to get harder? They are going to lose players. They're probably going to lose coaches. We just found out, uh, Tim sent this over um, from Adam Schefter, the Chargers are working to hire the Ravens' director of player personnel, Joe Ortiz, as their general manager, per sources, so probable that Joe Ortiz is now out of the door. Um, they had the games at home. They had the playoff games at home. They were in a year where the AFC was a little bit down compared to what we'll probably see next year. They didn't play a first-place schedule this season. They will play that next season. The games are going to get harder. The Chiefs are going to the Super Bowl this year, and they're probably going to be better next year when they add professional wide receivers to their roster. The Bills are going to be healthier. Joe Burrow is going to be back. The Chargers are likely to improve with the addition of, of Jim Harbaugh. Aaron Rodgers is maybe going to be healthy. And then starting next year and the years after that, Lamar's money is going to start taking up more and more of the salary cap. I mean, it's a depressing thing to say because we like following this team. We like covering this team. We like rooting for this team. But realistically, this year, was it probably the best chance for this team um, looking forward you know, to the next two, three, four years? Or, or are you going to say, no, you idiot? Just look at what the Ravens did against the Patriots when they did win the Super Bowl. 2011, better team, better record. They lose. They come back the following year, and they actually win that big game when they're a worse team, in theory, uh, and end up winning the Super Bowl that year. Is that possible? Is that how this could go? Or is it, in your opinions at this moment, like, look, this was a rare opportunity that the team really let slip through their fingers? I mean, it's great to say... Yeah, we could just do what they did last time because that happened before. But this is definitively their best shot for everything that you just mentioned. Um, let's let's talk about some of these players that could be out the door next season. And I'm pulling up a quick list here, but off the top of my head, Justin Matabike. Although it seems like more and more that he's probably, hopefully, God willing, they're going to find some way to make it uh, you know make it happen, which we talked about in previous episodes. Patrick Queen, Kevin Zeitler, Gus Edwards, uh, Odell Beckham Jr. Nelson Aguilar, who actually was a contributor here. Jadavion Clowney. Uh, Kyle Van Noy. John Simpson, the starting left guard on this team. Uh, Devin DuVarnay, the punt returner. Brent Urban, a contributor on that defensive line. All these guys aren't leaving, but all of these guys are free agents. Don't And then, you know, think about the cap casualty guys that might have to be an issue. There could be a Ronnie Stanley conversation to come up very quickly because of what happens with Lamar Jackson's contract. And speaking of Lamar Jackson... Lamar Jackson was healthy this entire year. Lamar Jackson, you can debate if it was a weak year for the MVP or what have you, which some people have. Lamar Jackson played at an MVP-like level. He is going to win most valuable player for the second time in his career. And you squandered both of those chances. This was undoubtedly their best shot to win the Super Bowl. Everything fell their way. They kicked the crap out of every team that would have been a competitor. They had the deepest roster in the National Football League. I, I hear your 49ers and raise you Brock Purdy. They had a better team than anybody else. They showed they could win at home. They had this dominant crowd behind them. They brought out every legend and, 
and T-Pain, for whatever reason, to the stadium for the championship game. They, they pulled out all the stops because they knew this was the chance. And they blew it. And you're exactly right, Antonio. This team, who, who knows with Lamar Jackson's health, because it's always going to be an issue. Um, and it's something that it's just hanging in the sky for this team all the time. Joe Burrow's coming back. Deshaun Watson might be good, like might find his form with, with the Browns. This, who knows where Russell Wilson is going? The Steelers could figure something out. Aaron Rodgers, the Bills, the, the, the um, Chargers, as you mentioned. Justin Herbert is now getting a competent head coach. Although I should mention, uh, just reading up on this Joe Ortiz uh, news, that he's probably going to leave uh, for, for the L.A. job. They did finish 5-12 and 12 this year, and they're set to be $54.2 million over the salary cap next season. So, some work to do there for old Joe and, and, and uh, Jim Harbaugh. But, nonetheless, still have a very talented roster with an incredible quarterback. You know, Sean Payton could start to figure some things out with Denver. The AFC is going to be harder next year. And then you do have to play the Bills. You do have to play the Chiefs. You do have to play... Texans. Line, line, the Texans. <laughs> you know, I was trying to think of who won the AFC South. Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence could just be better than he was. Like, we all came into this year thinking the AFC is going to be a juggernaut. It is going to be so difficult to deal with. And you know what? It wasn't. Because of injuries, because of bad luck for some teams. And the Ravens, everything fell their way. And they screwed it up. So, yeah. I Look, could they come? could they still win a Super Bowl? Absolutely, 100%. But this was definitively the best shot that they had in the Lamar Jackson era, and they pissed it away. Yeah, I was, I was talking about this exact thing, actually, with the guy we went to college with on Twitter today. Uh, and, um, you know, he, he pointed out what you guys said, because I said, uh, you know, as a cynical man, I said this was their best shot, and they're probably not going to win the Super Bowl anytime soon. Uh, and he rightfully pointed out, Matt Owings, shout out if you guys know him, uh, that um, it might be their best shot, but they've won championships with far worse teams. <laughs> and he is right. The Ravens are going to be worse next year. Um, <sighs> and that's a little upsetting <laughs> to just kind of know that going in. But it's kind of liberating in a way, too, where, like, I feel like my expectations are way lowered, uh, maybe. I don't know really how my expectations for this season got as high as they were, because certainly the last two seasons haven't been much. I think it was just having Lamar back... But, you know, he is going to be back next year, too. And I think he could certainly keep improving. He kind of has every year. Um, so I, I think that's why it's not completely devastating. The, Tim's right, though. This was their best shot, for sure. Um, they're certainly not going to be hosting the AFC title game next year. Write that down. I think that's pretty definitive, uh, just given their schedule and, and the losses Tim mentioned. The Ravens are going to take a step back. I think especially their pass rush, if I had to guess a particular weakness for next year's team. But uh, there, there are good news. You know, Roquan Smith turns 27, I think, this offseason. Uh, by the time next season kicks off, Kyle Hamilton will be 23 uh, years old. He just made an all-pro team at 22. They have a pretty solid spine on defense. I mean, Hamilton, we didn't talk about him because we don't want to uh, there wasn't too much good things to talk about. He was nasty against the Chiefs. He was great. And Matabike was great. And then, so obviously if they can find a way to bring him back, and I think they will, as, as Tim said, I think he's either going to agree to a deal or a tag. He seems to be kind of the priority uh, at this point. But 
There's still a lot of good players here. As long as Lamar's healthy, they're going to win 10 or 11 games. Uh, and, you know, as long as you get into the dance, you have a shot. So certainly they can win the Super Bowl. But this, I mean, getting the one seed, beating the Texans pretty handily, getting the Chiefs at home, it's not going to get, quote, easier than that as a path to the Super Bowl. Um, so it hurts in that sense that they, they let that slip away. Because, yeah, the Ravens are going to be worse next year. But, yeah, as I said... Maybe that's liberating. I don't know. I, I feel like uh, if I accept that just in a world where Patrick Mahomes exists, like uh, if I don't even think about winning the Super Bowl because I just assume the Chiefs are going to win, if we accidentally get to the Super Bowl, how great would that be? So uh, I, I told Tim this last night, uh, but my, my, my 2024 goals for the Ravens are limited to let's beat the Steelers. That's that's what I want to see. That's what I want to see in 2024. 2024. Let the chips fall where they may on the postseason. But 2024, we're beating the Steelers. That's that's goal number one. Everything else is secondary for me. Uh, and that's how I'm choosing to live my life. Because if I if I focus on the fact that they probably let their best chance at a Super Bowl uh, in a 15 year span uh, slip away, <laughs> um, I'll go crazy. So I can't think that way. So yeah, it sucks. Um, but. It's a good team. It's a good franchise. It's a good organization. And uh, even like with a guy like Hortiz going out, they'll probably promote from within. Someone will step up and um, hopefully keep the train rolling because it's, it's been good here for a long time, as long as annoying as Sunday was. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you know, it's there's been a lot of gut punches over the years. I think that's just you play in the playoffs enough, you're going to have a lot of heartbreaking defeats. But They've not been closer to the Super Bowl playing the AFC title game at home and not gotten there, so that, that that hurts. So, yeah, mixed bag, I guess, but some positives going forward, some negatives in that. Yeah, it slipped through their fingers, and they played their worst game of the season, pretty much, uh, in the biggest game of the season. So, what can you do? The Orioles win 100 games. Don't, don't win a postseason game. The Ravens <laughs> get the one seed. Lose at home. I'm done being a front runner. That's it for me. Wild cards all the way, baby. Uh, <laughs> they didn't. They didn't want us to be here. They didn't expect us to be here. Those are the games that that I want to win now. Moving forward. <laughs> I mean, we we're not going to do any Super Bowl stuff this week. Or that'll all be for next week if we have the stomach for it. <laughs> um, still managed to go 0 and 2 with my picks. Was wrong on the Ravens yet again, yep. as I have been almost all season, one way or the other. Uh, and then picked the 49ers, but. They didn't cover, so 0-2, a disastrous year for me. Pretty much how it's gone. Um, any final uh, final words, guys, before we close this episode out? No, it just, that sucked. <laughs> and uh, certainly the biggest kick in the teeth I think we've had since doing this show. I know 2019 sucked. I haven't bothered to go back and listen to it uh, <laughs> to, to see what my thoughts were about that loss, but... This is way worse because it's the AFC title game versus the divisional round. It's as close as Lamar Jackson's been to the Super Bowl, uh, and they didn't get it done. So, but that's that's kind of all there is to say. They just didn't play good enough uh, when they needed to play. You didn't even. I think you said it at some point, Antonio. They didn't even need to play their best in this game, and that even if you get their three quarters best, they're in the Super Bowl today, uh, and probably would stomp the Niners the way they've been playing lately. Maybe stomp strong, but this was a great chance to win the Super Bowl, and instead we just have a very nice season. I think I called this team one of the best in team history last week, and I still stand by that. This was an incredible team, um, and there's no Super Bowl to show for it, so that's always a bummer.
Yeah, I mean, I'll simply put it this way. As a man who is absolutely going to miss football when it's gone, as a man who loves this sport and spends free time talking about it with you two uh, every Monday, um, if the Super Bowl were tomorrow, I wouldn't watch it because of how heartbroken I am. Like, I just, I wouldn't. I would, I would, I'd fire up the PlayStation and, and on the other two TVs, not put anything American football related. Maybe some soccer. Maybe get into, like, cricket or something. I don't know. Um, you know, F1 apparently is getting really popular. Um, I, I just, I wouldn't because I can't deal with it. And look, I'm sure when two weeks come, I'll convince myself to watch it. I won't like it. Um, but I will watch it because I, I know I'll miss it if it's, if it's gone. But, um, yeah, this, this really sucks. And, um, I haven't felt this low about the Ravens and that's saying something in a very, very long time. We'll have a, uh, Super Bowl preview. No, we next, won't. Next week, I guess. Uh, and then the three of us, we're all going to need some some trips to Cancun uh, after this. So, in theory, one or two more episodes of Pod Like a Raven and then a, a well-deserved break from the stress that is this football team. For Tim Horsey and Jace Evans, I am Antonio Barbera signing off on what was a good team with a disappointing end to, to the season. Thanks for listening to Pod Like a Raven. We will see you next week. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.